and welcome to Meet Me in the Middle, the podcast that seeks out middle ground in all kinds of things. <laughs> I'm Annika Buckle. And I'm Jenny Omani. We would love for you to pop over to your streaming platform of choice and give us a perfect review. If you are enjoying the podcast, leave us a little little note, a little review comment, share with your friends on Instagram. Um, hopefully by the time you're listening to this, the linking situation on the Instagram is fixed and you can just link it on in there yourself. And uh, that would be great. So thanks so much for listening. Um, okay, so before we get started today, I'm just gonna give y'all a little content warning. We're going to be talking about purity culture, religious trauma, and a little bit about abortion access and opposition to gun control. So if any of that isn't in your wheelhouse today, that's totally okay. <laughs> Gross. Um, <Okay. laughs> and if you're still listening, buckle up. <laughs> um, so for a while, I have really wanted to do an episode or actually what kind of I think may turn into a mini series mm. um, on the impact of and parallels between Christian purity culture and the wellness industry. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is like kind of like the Venn diagram of things I'm currently obsessed with overlapping <sighs> mm -hmm. each other. Um, but it's a huge topic and there's a billion ways we could approach it. Um, and honestly, I've kind of avoided it before because it's such a big topic, but it's something I'm personally really fascinated by. And I also think that it's an interesting parallel to draw between some of the roots of this kind of obsession with things being quote unquote clean, you know, foods, mm -hmm. beauty products, home care <clears throat> that the wellness industry just won't let go of. Having grown up in the 1990s within an evangelical church community, I had a ton of programming around the importance of sexual purity and actually, honestly, a lot of trauma also. Um, I'll share a little bit more about that later in the episode. But when I see so many of these same contents repackaged as like, quote unquote, health, it just feels really icky, but also I think important to call out. Just to define what I'm talking about here, I'm using the term purity culture to refer to a subculture of evangelical Christian culture that emphasizes abstinence above all else and really strict gender roles and norms. Mm. It, it reinforces this idea of sexual purity as a measure and sometimes the most important or only measure of someone's worth. Mm -hmm. All of this to say that if the things we talk about today are interesting to you um, and you want to hear more of this, please you vote with your listening ears, uh, share, and feel free to reach out to me on Instagram. I have a few more episodes around this topic in the pipeline, but um, just a reminder, we always love to hear what you think, actually, and we're always open to if there's something specific you want to hear us talk about. <clears throat> and I know that goes for both of us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. <clears throat> So we're going to talk about something that's been in the news in the U.S. over the last couple of weeks, thanks to the appointment of the new U.S. Speaker of the House of Representatives, Mike Johnson. Hmm. Jenny, have you heard of Covenant Eyes? I have not. I just know <clears throat> that he was like a election denier. <laughs> that's all I know about him. <laughs> oh, well, good news. You're going to learn a little bit more about him today. And huh. that, if you can believe it, is... Um, one of the best things that we can talk about about him oh, and that's he wanted, not good. <laughs> he wanted to make America great again. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so Covenant Eyes is a software company whose tagline is quit porn for good. The company oh, what about this Josh Duggar? Didn't he do this? Yes, he did. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's all I know. I just remember they them saying they <laughs> it found it like on Josh his Duggar. computers. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So the company bills itself as Screen Accountability, TM, 
And it's essentially surveillance software that records the user's internet activity and reports it to another person, usually a quote-unquote accountability partner. Covenant Eyes is not the only brand that's doing this, but is by far the most successful and popular. In 2022, their annual revenue was approximately $27.8 million. Okay. And do they, is it just for like porn downloads and stuff? Or does it just screen for all illegal activities? It's specifically for pornography. Okay. Um, I guess pornography is not illegal. It's child pornography that's illegal. Like actual. Right. And that's actually. Adult. Yeah, yeah the josh duggar piece yes. i think kind of layers over top of that right um it, it is total surveillance software so it takes screenshots every second of everything on the device oh so wow. i mean we'll get into this in a little bit but i'm just gonna plant the seed that we're talking about somebody elected to the united states government that has a third-party surveillance software on their equipment I mean, never mind the security <clears throat> risk that that would involve, but how does one have a, a like a computer memory that can do that? Like my computer can't even handle like the, the 500 tabs that I usually have open and makes me close them periodically. Like, could you oh, imagine if it was my emotional support browser tabs? Right? I guess it's all remote <laughs> storage. Yeah, I'm sure. Again, because I don't know all of the details. if it was stored within the device, that wouldn't yeah. be accountability. <clears throat> Uh, I want us to talk in more detail about the layers of this program and programs like it, but um, let's talk first about why we're even talking about this right now. <laughs> so <laughs> that's a good point because we're not doing it in relation to Josh Duggar <laughs> and his like despicable morality. <laughs> um, so if you didn't follow uh, very closely the election of a new U.S. Speaker of the House of Representatives on October 25th of this year, um, just to recap, after an absolute nightmare clusterfuck of a nomination process, um, the House voted, or more accurately, the House Republicans voted, <clears throat> Mike Johnson as 56th Speaker of the United States House of Representatives. Um, just a couple of days after his election, an old clip resurfaced of him talking about his relationship with Covenant Eyes, and we will get to that in just a minute. But because I'm a poli-sci nerd, we're going to take a second just to review the role that Mike is in right now, um, because all of this matters and ties together with his level of power and the importance of the role that he's in. I'm going to make this a very high-level overview because American political structure is not in my wheelhouse. So um, he's American just third listeners... third in line for president. That's it. That's all. <laughs> it's no big deal. He's just the third in line. <laughs> That's um, all I know about the Speaker of the House. Auspicious, actually, that we're recording this on the day that... Um, in i don't know i don't remember if it was 64 or 65 but um jeff k was assassinated <laughs> so oh. relevant when we talk about succession line yeah. to the leader of the country right yeah totally um but apologies in advance to our american listeners because i'll do my best but i'm gonna open by comparing it to the role of speaker in canada because <laughs> it's not mm. identical but in some key ways it is really similar so in canada we have a position in government called speaker of the house here, the speaker is essentially a referee. It's their job to maintain order, decorum, if you will, in the chamber during debates and other proceedings. If complaints come up or if there are doubts about specific rules, it's the speaker who has the final say to interpret and then apply the rules. In the U.S., the speaker fulfills a similar role, but the role also is the leader of the, their political party 
in the House. So they set legislative priorities to try and pass their party's bills and positions into law, where in Canada that role is of House leader or party leader. In both countries, Speaker represents those who elect the Speaker, so the members of the House, and the Speaker rarely votes, although they can sometimes. But needless to say, this role is in some ways even more pivotal and important in the U.S. than it is in Canada and certainly has a lot more power. Mike Johnson came into this role after ousting the previous Republican Speaker, Kevin McCarthy, by some of the more right-wing politicians within the House, um, which honestly is kind of foreshadowing for the kind of politics that Johnson has. <laughs> well, totally. And the fact that, like, um, there was so much concern that the Speaker, that Kevin McCarthy was, like, working with both sides. <laughs> Too moderate. <laughs> oh, no. Right. right. God no. forbid. Sharon McMahon said, make politics competitive again. And it's so true. It's like you want people to be competitive because then you're getting the best people putting their best forward. Right. Not just right. Sinking into like with each other. And right. Anyways. Yeah. 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 So um, let's foray into those politics for a second because they kind of tee up to the clip that we're going to watch um, about covenant eyes. So Mike Johnson is a Christian, just like. 88% sure. of elected representatives yeah. in the U.S. As note, that's compared to just 65% of the population. I realize that's still over 50, but that's a pretty yeah, dramatic it, It's not representative. It's not equally representative of the people they represent. The representatives aren't representative. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but unlike the majority of those self-described Christians, either in politics, but also outside of politics, his politics fall within very clear lines of Christian nationalism. So... Just to kind of catch everyone up, Christian nationalism, especially in relation to the, the U.S., of course, Christian nationalism can exist in lots of other countries, but it's relevant today for the flavor of Christian nationalism in the U.S. is a little bit different than what we see in other countries. So um, Christian nationalism is the belief that the American nation is defined by Christianity and that the government should take active steps to keep it that way. It's a prescriptive program for what America must continue to be, and it advocates for very particular and specific expressions of Christianity fused with American civic life, to which the government promotes and ta is tasked with kind of preserving this undisputed cultural framework. This version envisions a, a quote-unquote pure American body that is heterosexual, white, oh native-born, that speaks English as a first language, and that is very thoroughly patriarchal. <laughs> um, it's, it's interesting particularly... that it's native-born, because it's like, I know. only I know. a colonial native-born standpoint. The <laughs> irony of Not really. a yeah. country that is full of <laughs> immigrants being yes. mad about immigrants will never... When immigration is like the cornerstone to why it even exists. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so uh, Christian nationalism, especially in the U.S., is particularly concerned with political opposition to gun control laws, um, as well as any laws that are even remotely accommodating to the LGBTQ plus community. Um, and of course, as we've seen really actively over the last couple of years, uh, political opposition to abortion. Oh, yeah, yeah. In fact, before Mike Johnson was speaker, he was blaming the teaching of evolution and abortion for school shootings. Oh, he's a creationist. He sure is. Oh. Yeah, he's a young earth creationist. So, um, oh yeah, my God. He, he, 
he does not believe in that newfangled science. Thank you very much. So um, he like doesn't believe in carbon dating. He doesn't. Nope. Annika, this is why people shouldn't get arts degrees because <laughs> they don't have to take science at high level institutions. That wouldn't have flown in the science department. I'm just telling you as somebody who. Well, but here's the problem. <laughs> you have all of these private Christian colleges of in the U.S. You that yeah. you can get a science degree from that's not going to question this. Nothing against arts degrees. My husband has one. Bless yeah, him. so do I. It's fine. I still so believe in science. But... No friends with people with arts degrees. I'm just saying. <laughs> the science that I took at university would not have tolerated denying carbon dating. Because it's not true. Details. Oh, so it's like details. That, this is where I find what I find interesting with when we use the term Christian. That is such a wide, like that encompasses mm -hmm. so much. Like my kids go to a Catholic school and like, of course, they teach them evolution. Like. <laughs> <laughs> so they don't have like a different curriculum from like where we live curriculum is required for everybody in the province right so you can't just like make your own curriculum if you're at a funded um school right right and even like i've gone to mass a few times and whatnot and like the the experience that i have had as a non-catholic attending a catholic church very infrequently is that all of the sermons have been prefaced as like, there are many ways that this, this is the reading and there's a lot of different interpretations of that reading. And it's like a discussion of interpretations. So even within that setting, there was nothing like it's uh, always from my experience, of course, that, which is just like what I have seen. It's very like, you don't take this verbatim. This is a translated document. It's been translated many times. It's been yeah. like, it's, that's why we have to interpret. And it's been very dialogue focused. Um, and even my husband grew up in a very conservative Catholic family. And there was still like encouragement about dialogue because that's how, from their standpoint, you spread the word of God is by talking about it and mm -hmm. engaging in conversation. So it's just funny because I think here where we live in our um society we would think that catholicism is really conservative but like it's actually absolutely not in the trajectory of um what christian means well i think the key <laughs> is that it doesn't have to be right I no think, it doesn't have like, to be that's a good point you, and i'm sure some branches are totally it's just my totally. experience prior to like when I was in elementary school and attending church, I attended a United Church and United oh, Church yeah, yeah. is very well known for being like women are pastors. Yeah. They're very LGBTQ friendly. They yeah. do a lot of the things that you would expect people who believe in the New Testament to do. They do a lot yeah. of outreach. They do a yeah, lot community of community service, unconditional yeah. feeding of people, you know, um, housing people when possible. Yeah. Yes. It's yeah. very service based um, in totally. a non-discriminatory yeah. way. Yeah. And yeah. And not all churches are like that. And no, so I'm sure they're not. this is, this is where you kind of see this really, you know, you can have dogma show mm -hmm. up. It doesn't mean that all Christians are dogmatic or all no. churches are dogmatic, yeah. but within, I think it's important that we call out actually, you know, as a part of this conversation, how different Christian nationalism is from mm -hmm. biblical Christian tenets, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because really the New Testament is very pacifist. It's very, you know, action focused in those, you know, quote unquote, good works. Mm -hmm. Um 
where you, what you see a lot with some of these very, you know, evangelical Christian nationalist churches, um, political figures is you get this very kind of violent, aggressive, really rigid and dogmatic approach to things that Mm -hmm. looks less and less like the things that Jesus said. (laughs) Right. And also I find with those more evangelical newer groups, there's usually like a leader who gets very prophetized as like the church leader versus, Mm -hmm. um, you know, a church structure where there's pastors and Mm -hmm. whatnot. They kind of like these mega church kind of Mm-hmm. Where you get even within very... mega churches, I'm sure there's a <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of nuance. Yeah, and I think you know while we're talking about it, it's important to call out you know as is our tenant here on this podcast. We are soft on people and hard on systems, and yeah. so you know this isn't about your own personal beliefs, things you believe or you don't believe. This is mm-hmm. how do we look at structures that can be damaging for people and how do we show up within that to kind of call that out Mm -hmm. um speaking of let's uh (laughs) talk about um one of my favorite mike johnson quotes that i came across this week uh this is from an interview in 2015 when he was elected to the louisiana state house of representatives quote many women use abortion as a form of birth control you know in certain segments of society, and it's just shocking and sad, but this is where we are. When you break up the nuclear family, when you tell a generation of people that life has no value, no meaning, that it's expendable, then you do wind up with school shooters. What? How do... Yeah, so school shooting is because of abortion, in case you're wondering. Is that paraphrased? Nope. It's a literal direct quote. I'm just... I was like, oh, he's going on about, like, morality. Oh. Yeah. But apparently Basically, oh, abortion... Wow. Women use abortion as birth control. Okay. And then because of that, that breaks up the nuclear family, which means that a whole generation of people believe that life has no value, which is why school shootings happen. Obviously, Jenny. I mean, I would argue that a lot of women would not use abortion as birth control if they had other options and more. Oh, also, we shouldn't give we shouldn't give women birth control either, though. By the way, well, (laughs) duh. And I love how like. All of a sudden, using birth control, or if we want to just go with his exact words, not his implied language, having abortions breaks up a nuclear family. Right. Um, So Johnson flies a Christian nationalist flag outside of his office, advocates for the recriminalization of gay sex, and uh, of course, as mentioned, was one of the most vocal supporters of overturning the 2020 election results. As I said, if you can believe it, that's one of the least problematic of his... I was just going to say, it's one thing to like not be comfortable around queer people, however you want to phrase it, because you personally aren't comfortable with it, but to like criminalize something just because you're not okay with it. Well, but it's not just that he's okay with it. It's that it's against God. Yeah. God is in charge and going against God is the reason that everything bad in this world is happening. So... Yeah. Well, and you know what? Well, I think sometimes as Canadians, it's kind of easy for us to be like, oh, yikes, like peering through the blinds that our neighbor to the south. Like, yeah, the reality is a lot of these tenants are starting to show up in right wing politics here in Canada. And I think it's yeah, they're becoming we, speaking points for sure. Yeah. It's important that we understand, you know, how this kind of populist rhetoric 
builds and and where it's coming from because I think mm-hmm. it's easy to kind of turn this into something that sounds good mm-hmm. to people who are feeling disenfranchised um mm-hmm. yeah yeah for sure but that these roots are really dark I don't want to spend all day talking only about Johnson's politics but I want to highlight this because I think it's worth pointing out that while only 10% of the American population would describe themselves as Christian nationalists, you now have the leader of the majority party who's espousing these same beliefs. Mm -hmm. In a 2016 interview, Johnson said this. 2016. Okay, so a year after the first stupid quote. Quote, you know we don't live in a democracy. Sorry. Quote. You know we don't live in a democracy. It's a constitutional republic. And the founders set that up because they followed the because they followed the biblical admonition on what a civil society is supposed to look like. Over the last 60 or 70 years, our generation has been convinced that there is a separation of church and state. Oh jeez. No, okay. But most people think that it's part of the constitution, but it's not. I mean, can we just leave it all with saying that the framers of the constitution It never occurred to them that no one would update it. It never occurred to them that what they were writing was going to be like the word of the land for hundreds of years. Like even assuming that, you know, what they had to say to begin with was good and kind and acceptable. Which it wasn't because this is literally written by people who owned other people. But anyway, (sighs) I just like this whole... I guess because it's such a foreign concept, but this whole obsession with the Constitution remaining intact in its Mm -hmm. origin, when the people that wrote it expressly documented that they expected it to be updated, I just, like, don't understand how, I don't know. It's also, I don't know enough about it, which adds to the ambiguity to me, but it's just fucking stupid. Well, and I'll just follow this up with a quote from just last year, quote, the founders wanted to protect the church from an encroaching state, not the other way around. So his argument is the separation of church and state, if it exists at all, was simply to protect the church, not the state. So the state can have as much church in it as we want. It's the church that needs to have the state stay out of it. It's just, to me, that but there's so many huge problems, like, in the world and even at a more local, national mm-hmm. level, that, like, is this, this is where time and political money and whatever needs to be spent? Like, really? You have people going bankrupt due to, like, medical bills and, like, this is the shit you want to focus on? This isn't yeah. the stuff that moves, like, the economy forward. It's not the stuff that moves society forward i guess they he thinks it is but it's just such a well and that's just a waste of time yeah yeah this is just it right is that it christian nationalism comes from this belief that if we only do things the way that i've interpreted god says we're supposed to do it then that Mm -hmm. will solve everything else then there won't be any more poverty there won't be any more child abuse there won't be any more you know of any of these things because that's just all magically going to get fixed when we start it's just a magic wand quote unquote god yeah 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 um obviously there are a number of reasons that we should be taking a fairly hard look at mike johnson um i can never say that without laughing i'm sorry i hate to be like a 12 year old boy phalluses (laughs) 
penises um johnson but let's come let's go back to covenant eyes speaking of penises i'm gonna post this clip in the show notes um and i'll include timestamps. um but uh we'll also include i'll do my best to include the audio of the most important parts next really dark things so covenant eyes is the software that i i we've been using a long time in our household uh, i was i first learned about it at a, i think a promise keepers event in the early 2000s i think it was developed in about the year 2000 uh, but it's the largest um accountability software that there is and and there's some paperwork out there on the table that i think everybody may have picked up on the way in if not go get it I, it's a subscription-based. I mean, we don't make any money on this. I'm telling you, I, we use it. Okay, I, they're not. I'm, not in, I'm endorsing it because I'm a user. Uh, it's about $15 a month, $16 a month, something like that. And you get up to 10 devices. And what it is, it's accountability software. So uh, men in a church, you know, men's Bible study groups will do it. That's how it's presented at Promise Keepers. But they also mention, hey, when your kids become teenagers, especially if you have boys, dads, they're talking to the guys at this event, you might want to think about doing this with your sons. And so we've been doing that. And so what it does real, real simply is it has an algorithm and software. I'm, it's way above my head how it works, but um, it, it scans. You, you obviously opt into it, but it scans every all the activity on your phone or your devices, your laptop, tablet, what have you. We do all of it. And then it sends a report to your accountability partner. So my accountability partner right now is Jack, my son, right? And so he's 17. So he and I get a report of all the things that are on our phones or all of our devices once a week. If anything objectionable comes up, your accountability partner gets an immediate notice. I'm proud to tell you my son has he's got a clean slate, all right? Yeah. But I just can't look past that the backdrop says like war on technology. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really also getting but her email vibes. Right. So I just don't understand how and I don't know. I know the very um, butchered basics of her emails, but like, didn't she just have like a separate server that she was saving them on? Like, so isn't this kind of the same thing? Isn't there a server? Presumably it's on his, if it's on all his devices, like you said, yep. then his really high clearance emails and shit are being scanned through this, right? Yeah. And I mean, keep in mind, like the U.S. government will not allow um, employees to have TikTok on their work devices. Well, that's the thing. So, what? so well, I mean, follow the money, but yeah. Um. But I mean, if we're looking at, you know, restrictions, it really mm -hmm. feels like a surveillance software should be on the list Probably, of things that yeah. maybe not a great idea. Um I also want to talk about what, like, one of what I think is one of the creepiest part of this, and that's not that he is his son's accountability partner. I mean, that's very Christian patriarchal, but his son is his. Like, could you imagine getting a report about your dad? I just. <laughs> it wouldn't be my first. I was expecting him to be like my wife gets our, <laughs> and even then, I was like, okay, it's still weird, but it's weirder that like he his son's getting. I know. I know. <sighs> I know. Um, so let's move into talking specifically why this app is so popular among Christians generally, but American evangelicals specifically. If you haven't spent time in the world where this is a totally normal thing, it might seem really weird. And I'm not saying it's not weird, no, it's <laughs> but I will say within, you know, the born again Christian community, there's a huge focus on, you know, this kind of idea of sexual purity and that you have to be held in check and you've got to be you know, surveilled and accountable and kind of all of these pieces that go along with this. 
just a little bit of background on me. If you haven't heard me talk about this on here before, I converted to Christianity in elementary school, much to the chagrin of my poor academic humanist parents. <laughs> um, my version of high school rebellion was like going on mission trips and working at Bible camp. Um, and so right up until my first year of university, I was deeply enmeshed in evangelical culture. We um, moved when I was in grade nine and I started attending a much more um, outwardly evangelical church than I had previously when we lived in our small town. Um, and so a lot of this was really very, you know, hands-on real for me in those days. Purity culture within Christianity has its basis in a teaching of Jesus that's called the Sermon on the Mount, um, which is detailed in the Bible in Matthew chapter 5, specifically verses 27 to 30, which I'll just read through if you haven't read the Bible cover to cover like I have. So uh, this starts at verse 27 and goes to verse 30. For those of you who want to follow along, um, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It It's funny because it's like the reading itself is talking about accountability for the person, not the account, not making, pushing that accountability on because he's presumably Others. talking to men, right? Right. Yeah. He's not talking to women. He's telling the men that if they're being, you know, emotionally sinful, right, you got to start chopping off appendages. They're not saying, but I love how that then becomes that then turn is turned into right. Because the actual quote, he's not talking about how women are supposed to be dressing or conducting themselves. No, I'm sure. There's other places in the Bible that does cover that, but like. Well, and this is exactly, you know, you kind of hit the nail on the head in this, especially I think, you know, there's a lot more conversation now, but in the 1990s and in the early 2000s within kind of the evangelical movement, especially within youth groups, there was like this maniacal focus on this idea of being sexually pure. Um, unsurprisingly, as pointed out, uh, this focus looked drastically different for girls than it did for boys. Mm -hmm. um, so as girls, the focus for us was on how we could prevent the boys around us from falling into temptation mm -hmm. it was they this didn't idea give instructions that... for the boys on how to gouge out the left eye or cut off the right hand <laughs> was there like a tutorial <laughs> diy um just saying but it's this it's this idea that guys are going to constantly think about sex so it's your job to make sure that they don't right that means as a woman what you wear how you sit how you speak um, but then for boys, it often meant an accountability partner. Um, and this is certainly not exclusive to religion. I will say I've had accountability partners within self-development or even, like, oh, you know, I mean, business development part. classes. Yeah, the term but isn't a bad term. The focus inside Christian circles isn't just someone to check in to make sure you're like following through on a specific yeah. task, yeah. but requires you calling yourself out and almost like kind of confession style of admitting all your sins to someone else. Um and again, just like the quote from Matthew, with impurity culture, this isn't just about sex. In fact, it may never include anything concretely physical. It might just be, hey, you know, the guy that sits in front of me in English class is cute. And I maybe I thought about him being cute for too long. And so I committed a sin in my heart. I just would like all of these newer religions and older ones that base things off of quotes from the Bible. But it's not because like... <laughs> 
you're not basing this off of like yeah you've extrapolated I, yeah <laughs> this if is jesus, not actually if jesus is truly saying gouge yeah. out your eye right then then where are the lessons on how to do that and where's your accountability is... partner when they need to cut off your hand <laughs> and so this is just it within this context something else i bumped up against was this idea of um, you know, a quote unquote porn addiction really prevalent among teenage boys. Yeah. Um, and this is something since leaving the church that I've spoken actually to a number of other people who also had this exact same experience showing up around them. So keep in mind, like we're talking about groups of teenagers, hormones absolutely raging, whether you're a Christian or not, <laughs> constantly yeah. being lectured that your burgeoning sexuality is not just like bad and wrong, but a sin that will literally keep you from God and potentially even keep you from an eternity of joy. And so this level of control and keeping yourself pure for your quote unquote pure <laughs> for your future mm -hmm. spouse literally means keeping yourself physically pure. So if you're dating, nothing beyond holding hands, sometimes not even holding hands, um, so, you know, it's the mid to late 1990s. The internet is new, but of course, already filled with like chat rooms and pornographic images. And mm -hmm. I remember really distinctly at Bible camp having more than one guy, quote unquote, confess his addiction to pornography inside of these, you know, calls within worship to come forward and confess your sins and be forgiven mm -hmm. by God. And I don't want to undercut or, you know, call out people who are unhappy with the amount that they're viewing porn or say it couldn't be a sure. problem for people. Although I will say there is no clinical or scientific consensus. It's not a diagnosable condition in the DSM, but especially when sexuality is repressed and vilified, yeah. it really creates a problem where maybe there isn't one. And this yeah. is exactly the culture that creates a program. Like or if you just guys. had a culture that embraced talking about sexuality and you, then you maybe just would have less people watching porn. Right. <laughs> well, right? and this is just it, right? It's like, don't think about pink elephants. You're, what right? are you thinking about? And right? I think if you make something super taboo and you're curious about it, well, it is, and, and that thing happens to be sex. Well, if you're going to try and figure out what that thing that you're not allowed to know about is, that's what you're going to stumble upon, especially right. when the internet's new and there aren't these firewalls and these paywalls and all this, this stuff mm -hmm. up, right? You're, it, your curiosity is going to take you there where... If you just had facts, biological processes explained to you, it probably wouldn't occur to you to the same degree to go and secretly find that information. Right. And then it, it so, you yeah. kind of add this layer of secrecy on top of it, right? Yeah. And your shame and your, yeah. um, you know, which I actually think is really this perfectly segues into, you know, this idea that I'm not going to argue that a lot of the pornography industry, industry specifically is... Mm -hmm incredibly damaging especially to women it's misogynistic and it's violent and it creates unrealistic expectations about what normal, normal bodies look like yeah. but the difference and this i think is exactly you know you hit the nail on the head you know it's not inherent in porn you know there can be great feminist porn that doesn't have any of those problems and what is particularly fascinating is it seems like the people most likely to experience serious impacts from pornography in their, in their lives are those who are viewing it while being morally opposed to it? Well, yes, because then there's the there's shame involved in the process too. Yeah, right. Um, so it's you're it's uh, yeah. So then they're sitting there. There's it's just so layered at that point. Totally. Um, I'm just gonna uh, drop a quote from uh, sociologist Samuel Perry, author of uh, a fantastic book. If you're interested in this stuff, called "Addicted to Lust: Pornography and the Lives of Conservative Protestants." 
That's a niche. Um, Quote, in other words, it's not necessarily that porn makes you depressed. It's watching porn when you're already, when you've already said that it's an immoral thing and you don't want to do it. That can lead to guilt and shame that makes you feel crappy about yourself, that you are immoral, that you are violating something that's deeply held and sacred. Yeah. And I think this feeds too into this idea that like, especially as a, as a girl, as a woman, your virginity is the most important thing about you. Right. Mm -hmm. And anything outside of that is, um, you know, like spoiling you for your spouse, you know, either future or current, depending on how, you know, what lens you're looking at this. Um, and I think this is where that problem lies this is where that layer of you know shame shows up well and this is how you get josh duggars in the world right like like as disgusting as everything he did is i mean you part of me just still feels bad for him because like look how he was raised you can't tell me that didn't play into to it and he probably sure there's probably a mental health component like it's probably and when i say mental health i'm not saying that because he had mental health concerns right he (laughs) became obsessed with viewing pornography child pornography that is not what i'm saying i'm just saying when you layer in you know when you layer in different things and make the situation more and more complicated you have someone that becomes more vulnerable to behaving in certain ways it doesn't make the any of it okay but it just makes it a bit um, less surprising well and i think this is exactly it when you have this paradigm that says, mm. well, men are going to look at porn. That's just what men are going to do. They can't mm. help it. They're lustful. They're driven by physical needs. You know, it is, I think, part of what excuses the behavior that allows mm. things like the Josh Duggars to be swept under the yeah. rug as long as possible. Right. Because, yeah. well, he was just boys will be boys. Right. Boys don't molest their sister. No. <laughs> boys don't view child pornography. No. Um, no. And so when we look at the ties between something like, you know, the covenantized version of purity culture and this obsession with the wellness industry into kind of clean living, it's this exact same language that those who do not or cannot make the same choices are by default unclean. They're impure. Mm -hmm. You know, our sexual sin makes us unclean, just like eating fast food does. Right. Mm -hmm. I think in a lot of ways that where the political right really is moralizing sex, especially right now with the kind of what we're seeing in i hate again i hate the word culture wars but especially you know the war Mm -hmm. from the american right on the queer community Mm -hmm. um you know the left or you know uh in horseshoe theory as we talked about in one of our early episodes in season one the left is it becomes the right again right right left (laughs) um has all of this same politics and policing but around kind of health purity right yes i want to leave all about personal accountability on steroids to the the nth degree yeah where it just it just becomes easy to blame it takes it off of it's the opposite of being hard on systems right it's putting it on the end user (laughs) totally which is why you know we don't need to have laws to protect people or whatever because if everybody just did the right thing exactly we wouldn't need right need to We don't need laws if everyone just does the right thing. Right? Yeah. Um, I'm going to leave, I want to leave with a quote um, from an excellent article. I'll link it in the show notes from uh, Slate by Kelsey Burke. 
Um, because I think the other thing is it's easy to kind of separate like the person from the politician, like, oh, you know, just because he has covenant eyes installed on his <laughs> son's phone. Note he talked about his son, right? Not his daughters. But anyway, um, it doesn't necessarily mean anything about his politics or how he's going to govern. I think we've looked at his politics enough to know that's not totally true. But <laughs> um, I'm just going to leave this here. It may seem innocuous enough, perhaps not so different than the meditation or fitness apps that I and countless others use to encourage healthy choices. But Covenant Eyes, like Johnson himself, is also involved in efforts to change the structure of society through laws and policies. Covenant CEO Ron DeHaas, DeHaas is chairman of the board and directors of the National Center on Sexual Exploitation, or NCOSE, an organization that sees pornography as one of many interconnected threats to a thriving society and to men in particular. NCOSE's mission is to crack down on the sex industry in its entirety. The conservative agendas of NCOSE and Johnson revolve around what sociologist Samuel Perry has called sexual exceptionalism, the evangelical belief that matters having to do with sexuality are of utmost importance when it comes to both individual salvation and to the country's political order lame <laughs> and so this is the foundation on which the leader of the house republicans stands and it's no surprise when we look at his track record you know prioritizing restricting abortion rights and laws on lgbtq equality because just like pornography these go against his belief that heterosexual marriage is the only proper place for sex and that sex is intended for reproduction full stop oh please because he only has sex when he wants to have children, right? <laughs> well, not for men, because men have an uncontrollable that's urge different. that they can't. That's different for them. Yeah. For women, it's only for reproduction. There, That's Covenant Eyes and a little foray into Mike Johnson's politics. And I think this is the other thing, right? This is, as we see, this is what happens as a, as a political party just gets pulled a little further into mm -hmm. extremism, right? as the Mitt Romney's of the world retire and step back from politics, unfortunately this is what fills in and this is what continues to pull the leadership of America just a little further and a little further to the right. Again, not that there's anything wrong with right versus left, but it's this no, no. very extreme cultural impact that we see. I think anytime you have, I don't actually I don't know how many countries have two-party systems, to be honest, but a two-party system lends to more polarity because you're trying to appease people for numbers and you're just trying to catch as many people as you can. So you tend to go with the bigger camps of people to try and capture and yeah. hope that you're picking the largest numbers so that you get, you know, voted for. Yeah, it's like, don't do your best to not make enough people sitting in the middle angry that mm -hmm. they'll still vote for you and then, you know, pull in as much of the fringe as you can. But also recognizing that, like, the people in the middle are probably going to vote anyways, and they're probably just going to vote on party lines in the yeah. sense that, like, so much of it is almost generational. My family mm -hmm. votes this way, so therefore that's how I vote. Yeah, right? it becomes so, central to identity rather than yeah. following, you know, the policies that maybe you personally align with. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, here's the thing. Voting's anonymous. 
Nobody has to know who you voted for. <laughs> yep. <laughs> right? If you have had a Democratic family through and through since the dawn of the Democratic Party, uh, none of your family knows if you vote Republican. So, like, you can totally just have the freedom to vote for who you um, feel is, you know, going to best represent the country you want. Yeah. You and I think along family voting rules, they don't this know. Is this is the other problem, though, in a two-party system, I think, is that what happens when you don't like either of the options? Well, <laughs> then you have to go with the lesser of two evils and whatever right. that looks like. And that that can look very different depending on yeah. where you're you're at, right? And it doesn't feel particularly democratic, right? But this is no, where we are. <laughs> no. And, I mean, the last election and potentially going into the next one, you've got choices that, like, seemingly a lot of people from both parties don't like their choices so it's not just like one party doesn't like who's representing them yeah potentially again you have both parties Mm -hmm. with leaders that they don't really feel represented and i think the bigger problem in that is that people get so alienated that Mm -hmm. you end up with you know even like we talked about at the beginning representatives that aren't actually representative of what the population looks Mm -hmm. like and i think it really shows um moral integrity and strength when you do have people who for example within the republican party did not um go along with not certifying election results Mm -hmm. right like Mm -hmm. that's those were people that were put in a really difficult position Mm -hmm. they were being told by the president to do something and the ones that said no, even though it's not a party that I personally align with, I have respect for yeah. that, right? And I think that if you're American, you should have a look at the people that went against mm-hmm. um, knowing what was overall actually the right thing to do. Because regardless of party and politics, those people did their job, which was to represent, to honestly represent the group of people that they were elected to represent. Yeah, so. and to uphold the version of democracy that yeah. is, you know, the closest to democratic, right? Mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it's, a it's lot crazy. of the people that did that were anti-abortion and anti-right. Mm-hmm. So it's it it's not this. If you are this, it's you're all of so, these other things. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, and I think again, this is the tricky part about a two-party system. Is mm-hmm. you know, even with a multi-party system, I don't feel you know, a hundred percent represented by any one party. No. I feel there are policies no. from almost all of the parties that I can agree with and align with. Yep. So when you boil everything down to it, either has to be this or that it's black mm-hmm. or white, it's yes or no. It, it, it really, you have an entire system built around no room for nuance. Yeah. And no room for really questioning things because you don't want to piss off your party. You don't want to, it just, I think it's, yeah, it's time for more folks in America, please. Thanks so much for listening to email. We really appreciate your support. And if you could do us a big favor and subscribe and share this podcast, it would mean the world to us.